Our practice this week is kind of themed around the anatomy and physiology and biomechanics of forward bending of the pelvis and back bending and how it relates to the spine, which separately has a forward bend, back bend, and it can move in a lateral flexion and a twist. So I just want to go through some basic um, fundamental <laughs> uh, movement patterns and also kind of um, start to reprogram old habits of misunderstood instructions that have been carried through in kind of yoga practices that are redundant now and that we have kind of updated as we have brought more of the kind of Western perspective of biomechanics into our practice and actually on a long-term understanding how we can create sustainable practices to give us that um, strength, but also open us to a more healthy understanding of how to be flexible. So there's an old instruction in down dog to draw your heels to the floor to stretch your hamstrings. So I'm just gonna demonstrate that action. As I'm pretty flexible, I can actually get my hamstrings or my heels to the floor. However, if you notice, I know my screen might not depict it as, as well as it should, but hopefully you can see this. If you look at my pelvis, my sit bones, when I force my heels down, are drawing towards my heels. It's, there's a slight posterior tilt. It's almost like doing a bad dog tail. So if I try to force my heels down, I am stretching the Achilles tendon, which ideally we're not wanting to stretch because it is a tendon. We want to stretch muscle. It is stretching the solace in the back of the knee. And as we lock our knees to force our heels down, we unfortunately destabilize the back of the knee. And loads of us yogis are starting to get Baker cysts, which it means that we overstretch the sac in our knee joint and actually it herniates and starts to actually draw synovial fluid into the back of the knee, which is not very desirable. Um, so what I would suggest is try lifting your heels, bending the knees, and now rotate your pubic bone through your legs, lifting the sit bones, creating a happy dog tail, rather than drawing your heels down, doing a bad dog tail as your pelvis tucks under. So the action is spreading the toes, micro-bending the knees, you can even draw your feet and thighs away from each other, engaging the legs and glutes more as you rotate your pubic bone through your legs, lifting the sit bones, and as you press your hands into the floor, you feel more of the forward bend happening of the hips, stretching the hamstrings because the sit bones are lifting up. There's a bend of the knee as it stabilizes the back of the knee, and you'll effectively stretch the hamstrings. Now, with these hamstrings in doing forward bends, as we do an anterior tilt, the spine can actually do a flexion, which is a forward bend. The spine can do an extension, or it can do a hyperextension, which is a back bend. So when we fold our pelvis forward, um, we'll notice something is <laughs> majority of us sit behind desks and we sit like this and then we eat our food, then we look at our phone, and then we drive. 
And then we come to a yoga practice and do more flexion of the spine, which is weakening. And the tendency is we flex the spine before the pelvis and we actually don't get longer hamstrings. We just overstretch the ligaments and tendons and the fascia of the spine, weakening the spine. So a lot of our yoga is actually trying to strengthen the spine so we can actually become more flexible. And how we do that is really working with a strong stable base. We need to make sure that the legs and glutes are stabilizing the pelvis and sacrum. Then we knit together our abdominals, zip up the zippers. So these are called the transverse abdominals. So they're like the corset muscles that knit together. When these activate, there are muscles in your spine called the multifidi. They're like little biceps that kind of plump up the spine. You can feel this if you create a little pujasana, you know, you pooch your belly out and you let your body just sag in the flesh and then you knit together your abdominals, you extend upwards or ascend and then you feel a tone in your spine as if something's kind of gripping your spine and stabilizing it. Relax your tummy muscles. Notice how you deepen your back bend, but you depress. Notice as you knit together your abdominals, how you can ascend and actually create more of that length along the vertebral spine. This will aid you in forward bend flexion so you're not depressing and hanging on the discs or the joints. This will help you in your extensions of ex um, expressing this strength and stability in your spine. But it, more importantly, it will help you in your hyperextensions as well as your twists. Remembering, twists are different than rotations. Rotations is your hips turning in the same direction as your shoulders. A twist means your hips are moving the opposite way. However, your lumbar spine is not designed to twist. Your thoracic and cervical spine are. So this transverse abdominus muscle is really important to engage throughout your practice to create that stability so we can twist more importantly, flex the spine, extend the spine, and hyperextend the spine. Whether the pelvis is doing a forward bend and or a back bend. Now, this becomes a little bit um, confusing because a lot of our yoga poses are asymmetrical poses. Say, for instance, warrior one. Warrior one, your front leg is in a forward bend and your spine is doing a back bend, but your back leg is doing a back bend. So there's a lot of pressure on the uh, pelvis and sacrum, how to actually intelligently hold your body so you can become more flexible. Now, a few little tips, and I think most of you who've been studying with me, abduction is the first primary action. You draw your front foot forward, back foot back, and as you tone the foundation of your body, toning the leg muscles and the glutes, and then knitting together your abdominals, we start to create a strong foundation for our body to either do a back bend, a forward bend, or a twist. And so we're gonna do this repeatedly throughout this practice. However, I just wanna point out one thing. When your pelvis is doing a back bend, noticing that I always get you to put your foot at a diagonal, not parallel to the back of the mat, but at a diagonal, because your pelvis slightly points towards the front corner of the mat, not squaring off, because with that abduction, 
As you draw your front foot forward, back foot back, you'll feel your back glute online. The reason why, it's creating more tone in the more posterior part of your glutes, your glutus medius, maximus, and also piriformis when you draw your leg back. The reason why we want this to happen is, is because your femur bone, your thigh bone, actually when you engage the glute, moves back into your hip, stabilizing. When you don't use that muscle, the femur bone pushes forward. Even if you have a high lunge, you're not using your glutes, and your femur bone is actually pushing into the front of that um, hip socket, the acetabulum, and actually over time, you're going to overstretch the ligaments and connective tissue, and a lot of us yogis are getting hip replacements and or labral cartilage um, replacement and um, reconstruction in our hips because of overuse of not engaging the glutes and maximizing your back bend this way, but the force is pushing your femur bone forward. So it's really interesting as you start to analyze your poses, say for instance, warrior one, your back foot is at a diagonal, draw your front foot forward, back foot back, you knit together, lift up, and you're doing a back bend. So your front hip is doing, your front leg, right leg is doing a forward bend. Back leg doing a back bend. Spine is doing a back bend. When we transition over to say, for instance, warrior three, there's a slight external rotation of the leg, feeling your glute and hamstring online, your chest extending forward in a back bend, but your right leg's doing a forward bend. So there, and we'll repeat this over and over so you can kind of start to get an understanding of how to stabilize and then start to work with flexibility from that stable base. So this is really kind of pointing us to Sutra 246, which says how to practice asana. So asana means a posture. It also means a seat, and that's what makes it very yogic that your mind takes a seat in your body, in your posture. So you become more mindful, awakeful, awareful. And the only two things in Sutra 246 it says of how to practice asana is that you have stira and sukham. Stira is this steadiness, stability, this integrity, this sense of physical effort, you know, effort in your energy, effort in your mind, that you actually create a sense of a foundation of support in that fullness of holding yourself in your body and your mind can rest then in that sukham state with ease, with comfort, with that effortlessness. So that stira in sukham is very important to this practice. And what we're going to try to do is actually Sutra 247, is, is that it says how to master asana, is once you find a strong, stable pose in which you find yourself in ease with, where you are able to comfortably abide in, then you're meant to actually um, loosen your effort as you meditate on something specific, becoming more effortless. So in today's practice, that something specific can be repeating what we've been working with over the past few weeks of uh, focusing on your breath, 
opening to sensation, cultivating more light. But in Sutra 139, it says, focus on anything that is useful and pleasing. And what I'd like us to do is actually create a mudra and focus on that mudra. Once you've found your physical alignment in where you can rest in, then smile. And it's a Buddha nature smile. If you ever look at images of Buddha, his eyes are cast down, which is a teaching in itself. There is a calming of the mind, a nervous system, as the eyes are cast down. So you're looking down your cheeks. And in that looking down, your jersey or your gazing point, you are actively stimulating your body and holding these asanas. And so there's a balance between the stimulation and effort and this ease and calmness in practice. So those are those stela and sukham. But with a smile, when you gently smile, you get an oxytocin hit, a dopamine hit, and your body opens to this constellation of sensation, which is delightful. But within that smile, notice your tongue making the same smile. Now you can notice your tongue wiggling because it's connected to your linguistic function of your brain. So every time thought rolls in or you're trying to understand my words, your tongue will wiggle. And a lot of the time when you're in certain yoga poses that are really challenging, you make a grimace face and you hold it. And then it's like too much effort, not enough sukham, not enough ease. So we are going to try to implement that sense of a Buddha smiling on our face and view our practice from that kind of um, tenderness, kindness, as in Sutra 133 suggests that what we're meant to be cultivating in practice is loving awareness, friendliness, joy, and compassion. So whatever's kind of going on, whatever we're kind of wrestling with in our practice, cathartically working with, we smile and say, you are welcome. I welcome you into practice. I see you. And in that loving, tender way, we practice, and Sutra 248 suggests that when we practice this way, the pair of opposites cease to exist or have an impact. It means that there is this intimate relationship, this yoga that we desire, in which we can rest in that quietude of our effort, abiding in the self as the self. If you would like to continue to practice, find out more information about the topics discussed, or to donate to this podcast, please visit ZephyrYoga.com or follow the link in the episode description. I thank you.